Sorry, guys, I'm walking up to the pulpit. I'm like, I feel like I'm forgetting something. It's the microphone. Need that. Oh, thank you so much, Brian and Teresa Reed. Teresa, thank you for sharing your heart and leading us in prayer. We're going to continue praying in that vein in just a second, but I think what I need to do is get us right into the text as quick as possible. So I'm going to ask if you would to start turning in your Bible to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. We're looking at just a single verse tonight. It's also up here on the screen. It's in your bulletin if you want to look at it there. Um, I will say, Silas, could you go ahead and get the recording going? And if it isn't already, sweet. And how about you guys stand if you're able for the reading of God's word. Romans 12.1, the gospel of Christ, it says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to him. Let's pray. Father, I ask and pray that the words of my mouth in these next few moments and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. Father, please do it. And I join my voice to Teresa's in asking you, Lord, that you would have mercy on our country and on our world. We're in a season culturally, Lord, where we talk often about giving a voice to the voiceless. And Lord, that's a good thing. It's been a beautiful thing to see that transforming our culture across the board. And yet we think of those in the womb as maybe the most voiceless of all. We pray that our prayers would be a voice for them and that you would hear and you would protect. It's in the name of Christ that we ask. Amen. Amen. Thanks for standing. You guys can go ahead and be seated. All right. Romans 12.1. Sticking with just a single verse today. I'm going to tell you why in just a moment. But I, I will note kind of the big picture of where we've been in the book of Romans and where we are now. Uh, last week, Pastor Brian preached and he got us through chapter 11, which means that we had navigated the two first sections of the book of Romans. There's three big sections. One of them is chapter one through eight, where the gospel promises are just laid out step by step. And then we get to Romans 9 through 11, this kind of curious section of the book that we've been in for the last few months. And, and that one is all about Paul sort of proving that we can trust God to be faithful to those covenant promises, those gospel promises that we read about in chapters 1 through 8. So we've got the gospel in 1 through 8 and God's faithfulness in 9 through 11. And then here we are in the final section of the book, chapters 12 through 16 which is, well, what we've been calling the practical part. We're going to put these truths into action. We're going to put them to work. If the previous parts of the book were what is true, now we're in the portion of the book that's what to do. And I know there's a handful of you guys out there that have probably been just chomping at the bit to get to the practical part. Because that's how, <laughs> yeah, I got one amen from the front here. That's how some of us are wired, right? Is the abstract, the theoretical doesn't really connect quite as much with us. But once we get to the instructions, the to-do list, that how do I put this into practice, that's 
where we really resonate. And so I, I'm imagining a lot of folks have their notebook out, their pen ready, and they're like, all right, give me the bullet points, Pastor. Tell me the practical part. I've been waiting for it. And we finally get to the practical section, and we're told, offer your bodies. Okay, that sounds good. Offer my body as a living sacrifice. How do you put that in a to-do list? What does that even mean? Let alone how do I do that? What on earth is a living sacrifice and how do I make myself one? Offer my body as that. You know, the irony is that this particular verse is one of the most famous verses in all of the book of Romans, maybe even the whole New Testament. I mean, this is one you see on bumper stickers, you see on t-shirts. I mean, I don't have a t-shirt that says that, but that'd be pretty cool, huh? You see it just kind of like uh, separated as this, this really sort of succinct, quick statement. A lot of people, ah, I love Romans 12.1. And yet, sometimes with the parts of the Bible that are the most famous and quote-worthy, they're also the parts of the Bible that when we really look closely at what they mean, it's not immediately clear. And maybe a lot of us that have even memorized this verse and know it, if a skeptic or someone outside the church or even inside the church asks, well, what does living sacrifice mean? We would have no idea what to actually say. So this is why we stopped just at one verse today. There was a previous uh, draft of this sermon where I did uh, more verses than this, but I realized very quickly, we need to make sure that we unpack what living sacrifice means. So we kind of have a firm foundation Because as we continue on in these chapters that follow, we're going to see a lot of commands, a lot of more straightforward, less mysterious instructions and commands. And I want us to have a good foundation to go forward into that. Because this idea of living of sacrifice, it it sets the table for all the other practical pieces that follow. So I want to make sure that we get this right. We know what it means. And I'm going to try my best in the next few minutes to kind of lay it out for us. So I'm going to read this verse one more time, and then we're going to hop in just for a few minutes of unpacking this living sacrifice idea. 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So, Living sacrifice. Let's start with the sacrifice part of it. We'll get to the living in a second. So I would imagine most all of you have some sort of sense of what the word sacrifice means. It's something that we, we speak about in the English language often, metaphorically, literally. But what I want to talk about is what sacrifice meant in the Old Testament with the covenant people of God. A sacrifice was an offering. It was a key element of worship. You guys, you realize that? We, we, a lot of times, immediately think of praise and worship as singing songs to God. But I think for an Old Testament Israelite, when they heard the word worship, they probably would have thought sacrifice first and foremost. And in a sacrifice, you would bring something, offer it upon the altar of the Lord, and you were sort of unreservedly, unreservedly, there we go, giving it to the Lord, saying, this is no longer mine, this belongs to God. 
And sacrifices could take many different shapes or forms as to what the thing sacrificed was, but more often than not, it was an animal, uh, unblemished, costly, healthy animal. It wasn't like the runt of the litter. It wasn't the sickly animal of the herd. It was the best, the finest that was brought and offered to the Lord. And when it was placed upon the altar, well, here's the sacrifice part that comes in. It was killed. Its lifeblood was shed. And its flesh oftentimes consumed by the fires of the altar. That was the worship of the Lord or part of the worship of the Lord in Old Testament Israel. Now, why would that be considered worship in any way, shape, or form? Well, here's why. Because of what it communicated. Depending on what sacrifice or offering a worshiper was giving, it could communicate different things. One of them was thanksgiving. You brought your sacrifice before the Lord because you were thankful for what he had done in your life or in the life of the community. I had an Old Testament professor back in seminary that used to say this. I'll always remember it. He would say, thankfulness is the one human emotion that evaporates the quickest. We're thankful. We are overwhelmed in thankfulness in a second, and then the next second we've forgotten and we've moved on. Bringing a sacrifice to the Lord, a costly sacrifice, was one way of saying, Lord, I am thankful, and I don't want to forget this immediately. I want to have a gesture that crystallizes the thanksgiving in my heart. So that's what a sacrifice could communicate. Another thing it could communicate was sort of an urgent or desperate plea. So if I come to the Lord with a request for intervention, for deliverance, I don't just casually say, oh, God, could you do this for me? Thanks. I'll check in next Tuesday and see if you've done it yet. No, I I bring a sacrifice to underscore, to emphasize the importance of the ask. Up in paradise this morning, I gave the example. I was like, I I, I hope that you guys that are married, you husbands out there, did not propose to your wives via text message. You didn't, did you? Because that would not have been something fitting for the gravity of the ask. No, when you ask someone to marry you, you do it with pomp and circumstance and importance. You don't do it in a casual way. And so in the same way, I'm asking the Lord desperately to intervene in my life. I do it in the context of sacrifice to underscore that request. Here's another thing sacrifice could communicate. It could communicate family and community. There's a a, a beautiful sacrifice that's described in the Old Testament called the peace offering. And in this particular offering, the worshiper would bring the animal upon the altar. And then as, uh, man, I said this was beautiful, but now it's probably going to sound a little gross. As it was prepared upon the altar, like food, portions of it were divvied up, some for the priest some for the offer, some for the family, some for the community, so that what ends up happening at this sacrifice is a potluck breaks out, a celebration. And the sacrifice actually draws the community together in unity and love and fellowship. The final thing I'm going to say about what a sacrifice could communicate, though, is the one that you're maybe uh, most familiar with, repentance and forgiveness. 
Sometimes, oftentimes, a sacrifice was brought because the worshiper had sinned, had turned their back on God, had disobeyed, and they knew that they were guilty and deserving of God's judgment. But by bringing the sacrifice, what they were saying is, yes, I deserve your judgment, Lord, but you are merciful and you have made a way so that my lifeblood doesn't have to be spilled, but something can take my place. And that something was the animal offered upon the altar. Now, the New Testament makes it very clear that the blood of bulls and goats cannot atone for the sins of a human being. It just doesn't work like that. So what was happening in that sacrifice is not that the, the exchange literally was happening right then or there, but rather it was a pointer, a placeholder, if you will, to the day when Jesus Christ would enter into our world and he would become the perfect unblemished sacrifice. All those animal sacrifices are pointing to that. And here is the worshiper in the Old Testament brings their sacrifice in a way they're putting their trust in Christ who would come down the road to be our redeemer. So why is it that sacrifice is considered worship, a key element of worship in the Old Testament? It's because it could communicate thanksgiving. It could communicate petition. It could communicate community fellowship. It could communicate repentance and forgiveness. All of these things that we're familiar with as true, genuine spiritual worship. And perhaps that's the reason why Paul, in our letter here, when he thinks about how it is that the Romans are to respond to the gospel, he uses the word sacrifice. Because just like in the past, they too were going to devote themselves to thanksgiving, to petition to love in the community, to repentance and forgiveness. They too were going to bring those sacrifices upon the altar to, to give totally and completely to the Lord. But here's the big twist. You ready for it? No longer would their sacrifice be a thing that they bring in their hands and lay upon the altar and walk away. No longer would it be an animal, a, a sheep, a goat, calf. No longer would it be grain or a drink offering that they put upon the altar. Guess what the sacrifice is? Them. Their very life. Their, the wholeness of who they are is what now is being placed on the altar and given in sacrifice to God. Them. <laughs> Up in paradise this morning, right at this part of the sermon, there was a fellow that walked in late right as I was talking about us sacrificing ourselves upon the altar. Talk about out of context, how that could be a little scary. <laughs> it was awkward for everyone, myself included. But uh, let's unpack this a little bit, because if that sounds weird to you, and it definitely did to the fellow that walked in in church this morning in paradise, it would have sounded even stranger to the people in the first century that received this letter. Whether they were Jewish, whether they were Gentile, they knew about sacrifices. It was part of their world. And yet, they probably had never heard of offering themselves as an actual sacrifice to the Lord. And not in, not in some sort of dark, evil, gross, human sacrifice kind of way. This is where the living part comes in, right? 
is Paul says, you're going to be the sacrifice, but your death isn't what's needed on the altar. You're a living sacrifice. Your life, who you are in totality, your thoughts, your actions, your hopes, your dreams, your relationships, all that goes into making you you, your very self, is what's offered on the altar to the Lord. Your whole life. In our scripture, we're told that that is what is holy and acceptable to God. And I believe that phrase is picking up on the fact that in the Old Testament, the, the animal that was to be brought was to be unblemished and as perfect as possible. But now Paul's saying, I'm not looking for perfect people, but rather people that are willing in obedience to give their whole self to the Lord in worship and thankfulness. I um, don't know if I should lean on this even more, but I, I will say this because it seemed to touch a nerve with the congregation in paradise this morning. We, we can think of what we give God as these good deeds that are in our hands and we place on the altar and we walk away. So for instance, I want to be faithful in my tithes and offerings that I give to the Lord. So I give 10% faithfully and consistently. But if I'm not careful, I can begin thinking about that as here's my offering, here's my tithe. It's a thing outside of me that I put on the altar and I walk away. I grew up in the South. We went to church every week. My church attendance can become the thing I place on the altar and I walk away. I, I, I fight against bad habits in my life. I, I try to do the right things. I, I, I try to read my Bible multiple times a week and spend a certain amount of time in prayer. If I'm not careful, those good things can become something outward that I walk and I place on the altar and I walk away. God doesn't want your stuff. He doesn't want your money. He doesn't want your perfect attendance record. He wants you, your life. And just like these folks, it would have blown their mind this idea of like, what, it's not an animal that I bring to the altar? It's me? We here in the 21st century have to think it's not a, a good deed or a good habit that I bring to the altar? God wants all of me? Yes. All of those things I mentioned before are good things. I'm not condemning them. What I'm trying to say, though, is if you get into the habit of thinking about this checklist of what I'm supposed to offer God, what you end up doing is just created another sacrifice you bring and you leave. And God says, I don't want that. I want you. That is what living sacrifice means in this text. I have five more minutes, so here's how I'm going to finish it. We've accomplished a good thing. We've defined living sacrifice. We've talked about how God wants us. We now have what we can write down on our bullet points of like, God wants me to offer myself as a living sacrifice there. Very practical, very good, right? Well, now we get to the hard part. Because it turns out being a living sacrifice is daunting. 
I would much rather. I would love for the Lord to ask for 50% of my wealth as opposed to my entire life given to him on the altar. It is a high calling and a huge ask. And something that for many of us in here, we probably hate this verse. Because all it does is bring guilt and shame and a feeling of I have a burden placed upon me that I can never accomplish. As a matter of fact, I have a friend here at the church. Last week, they asked me, Josh, you're going to be preaching on Romans 12, 1 next week? Well, that's the plan. And they say, for most of my Christian life, I hated that verse. And for this reason. Because you finally understand the the magnitude of living sacrifice and your next thought is that is terrible because I have failed to do that over and over and over again I don't know if I'll ever do that well start to avoid this verse like the plague there's a corrective to that way of thinking though in our verse even just this one little verse there is a word in it that can maybe totally flip our perspective. Totally flip it from this verse becoming something horrible and that we hate to being something that is beautiful and we love the quote. And here's the word. You ready for it? Therefore. Therefore is the magic word. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What does therefore mean here? It is looking back at all that we've gone through in chapters 1 through 11 of the book of Romans, chapters that have been filled to the brim with who you are in Christ and who God is as one who is merciful, patient, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. It's been filled to the brim with promises like there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. It has been chapters, uh, I can't think of another phrase, so I'll say this one again, filled to the brim with the promise that you are justified not by your good works, not by your record, not even by how good you are at being a living sacrifice. You're justified by Jesus and faith in him alone. And so Paul's saying, I'm about to tell you something big, guys, but therefore, it's in light of all that's come before. It's in response to all that's come before. It is in uh, just reveling in the grace of God. Don't miss that. I think what happens oftentimes for me is because I love Uh, studying the scripture and breaking it down into other sections. I love the the chapters and the verses of the Bible. Sometimes what I end up doing is I'll isolate sections of scripture from other ones when they're never meant to be isolated. You know, we've been studying the book of Romans now for close to two years. But when Paul wrote this letter and it was originally read out loud to the Roman church, they listened to it in one sitting. That's what you do with a letter, right? If your beloved writes you a letter, you're not going to break it up over the course of two years to read it a sentence at a time. At least I hope not. 
Although, actually, I'm weird enough, I might do that, who knows. But the letter that he sent to the Romans wasn't divided into chapters and verses to take a little bit of here, a little bit of there. No, they read it all at once. And so when he says, therefore, here, they remember what's come before. But what happens with me sometimes, and even maybe I'm guilty of it by just isolating this one verse today, is it's like we take this metaphorical exacto knife and we cut out one little verse, one little phrase, and we lift it out of the Bible and we place it by itself and we memorize it and we quote it and we put it on t-shirts. And when we do that, a word like therefore loses all its power. Therefore what? I mean, this verse stands alone. It's not, therefore, it doesn't point to anything if I've ripped it out of the letter it's embedded in. But when I put the exacto knife away, when I take the verse back and I place it in the letter where it belongs, therefore, regains its power and its punch. And it says, Josh, you're being called to be a living sacrifice because of what you already have in Jesus and who you already are in the grace of the gospel. It allows me to see this command in a new way, not as one that's guilt-ridden and shame-inducing, not as one that's telling me that I've got to prove myself to God or he's got some vital job that he has to have me accomplish or else the world's going to fall apart. No, I see this command now for what it is, a beautiful invitation to respond to what he's done for me in grace and to respond in the only way that's truly fitting, the only way that's reasonable in light of all that he's done for us in Christ. That last phrase, the ESV uh, translates that he says, you know, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual worship. But some of your translations will will, uh, translate that spiritual word as reasonable. It's because of kind of a curiosity of the Greek word that was chosen there. And it's, it's interesting to me because the reasonable translation really, it, it presents it like this. Or Paul's saying, you offer your body as a living sacrifice because really, that's the only reasonable response to what Jesus Christ has done. How else could we respond other than give our whole lives to him? Everything else is just silly if you think about it. This is the only way that's truly reasonable and responding to who you are and what he's done for you. So, last thing I'll say is that this calling to be a living sacrifice is, is daunting. And in fact, I would imagine there's some of y'all in here that maybe are hearing this in a new way, in a way that's challenging you, that's rebuking you, that's calling you to repentance and to say, Lord, I don't want to compartmentalize my worship. I want to give my all to you. Maybe even that will produce godly tears as you feel that conviction. That might happen. Praise God if it does. But here's the one emotion that this verse should not produce in you. It cannot produce in you. Condemnation. Guilt. That word, therefore, will not allow it. Because as soon as you read this and start feeling the overwhelming and feeling condemned and hated and not living up to what God's called you to do, therefore takes you back. Remember, you're justified 
by grace through faith. Remember that Jesus Christ shed his blood for you, not when you had gotten your act together, but when you were his enemy? Remember when you were told that there is nothing in all of creation that can separate you from love of Christ? That's your foundation for being a living sacrifice. It's a high calling, but it's one that is born out of who we are in Jesus. Nothing can take that away from us. Let me pray. And we'll sing one final song. Lord, I pray that the words of this scripture, your words, would penetrate deep into our heart and our soul. We would hear your voice in it. And you would grow us in grace and faith and truth. It's in the name of Jesus that we ask. Amen.